Leave us. No, you stay here. I'm in charge. Do you feel in charge? I've paid you a small fortune. And this gives you power over me? What is this? Your money and infrastructure have been important. Till now. What are you? I've got some reckoning. Here to end the borrowed time you've all been living on. I'm necessary evil. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFR Batpod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at tfrbatpod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my partner, the co-host of TFR, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Eric. What's going on, man? It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, it's been a little while. Um, well, our normal schedule, but it's I don't know. It feels it, it feels strange because our last episode. I don't know. It's I want to touch on it briefly before we get into our main topic here today. Um, our last episode was maybe one of the most fun times I've ever had in podcasting so far. Um, if you didn't listen to the last episode, and judging by the downloads, you did, because wow, uh, thank you guys for the response we've had. Uh, we had s- quite the quite the um, download count for the last episode, which I'm I'm humbled by and super super grateful for. Uh, if you're if you're a Holy Batcast listener, and you checked in for Holy Batcast. I hope uh, that you're that you're coming back. I hope that uh, you, we've gained some listeners from that, and I hope we can entertain you a little bit. But thank you so much for downloading the last episode. It was a ton of fun, um, Joe. Your input on our huge episode last time. Well, yeah, it felt like an event, didn't it? Like it felt like just a really special yeah, time. And and yeah, we owe a lot to to the Holy Batcast guys, Brendan and. Uh... Brendan and Andy and and Jamie too. You know, it was a, it was a shame Jamie couldn't join us. You know, he was he was busy doing his thing, and I think it was just a a little bit of a tall task to ask for. You know, trying to schedule everybody for that episode, but I'm so glad we got to do it. And man, yeah, I I really hope uh, I hope people that tuned into that can can stick around, and hopefully we uh, we gain some people and 
you know, hopefully we can keep you when it's just uh, the two of us because uh, we really enjoyed doing this. And uh, it was, like you said, definitely humbling to have uh, so many people listen to us. And, you know, we're, we know that a lot of you tuned in because of Holy Badcast, which is how, you know, we, we met through finding Holy Badcast. So we get it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this is, you know, back to basics for us, which is the two of us doing what we do. But uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it was, again, it was just so fun. And we're so grateful to, again, Andy, uh, Brendan, and Jamie. Jamie, we endeavor to have you on this show at some point. Um, but yeah, thank you guys. We appreciate it. But moving on to today's topics, and we're going to get into the main one in a minute, but there's a few little things um, that I want to discuss before we talk about the the main topic, like I said. Um you know, it feels like every time we record lately, we have to talk about something kind of sad and, and a little dour, and it's it's becoming almost too much to keep up with this year, Joe. Um, we've lost yet another legend in the comics world. Um, it's been a rough year for comic creators and, and fans of these awesome legends, but we've lost Alan Grant, um, and it, it's a name... It's another one of those names that this guy was huge in Batman, which is obviously why we're going to talk about him and bring him up a little bit here. But across the comics world, he, he was a huge name. And especially in that, in that 90s era of Batman comics, Alan Grant was, was huge. And he's another, another legend we have to say goodbye to too soon. But we wanted to acknowledge him here on the show. Uh, so Joe, I, I just wanted to pick your brain for a second and, and get your thoughts on the passing of Alan Grant. Yeah. It's funny when you go back and, you know, I, I didn't read a lot of comics when I was really little, um, you know, in the early nineties, I, I picked up a couple comics here and there, but you know, as I got older and went back and looked at some of the comics from the nineties, I mean, his, his name was all over, you know, nineties comics. And what I remember finding most fascinating about Alan Grant was, I don't remember what the reasoning was, where if they, they had like some of the classic villains off the table, but Alan Grant really tried his hardest to create his own villains and his own bat characters in his run. And I found that really interesting going back and reading. I mean, he created the ventriloquist, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he did anarchy, I mean, he created mm-hmm. a lot of interesting stuff when he when he had his long run. And, yeah, he was all over. I, I mean, he was part of Nightfall. I mean, he was... I want to say he did Batman and Detective at different points. I mean, he did Batman Shadow of the Bat, which was uh, a really big introduction into Arkham Asylum. You know, I mean, Arkham had been created prior, but he added a lot to Arkham if you want to say, for lack of a better term, as a character. And uh, did he create Jeremiah Arkham? Ooh, that, that I'm one not I'm, positive I'm not sure on, about. But I know the Shadow of the Bat comic that he was on the first arc for that had a lot to do with... Oh, so yes, he did create Jeremiah Arkham. I just uh, looked at it real quick. And Zaz. He created Zaz, too. So he, we owe a lot to him. And it's yeah, it's a shame that we just keep talking about this kind of stuff every week. But... Again, uh, you know, to try to take the positive side, it, it brings more attention to his work and, and hopefully more people that maybe because Alan Grant's one of those guys that I mean, Batman fans know him, but he he probably gets a little overshadowed by some of the bigger names. Uh, 
So hopefully mm-hmm. this will bring some more light to his work. Uh, unfortunately, you know, after the fact, but I do, uh, I do definitely recommend going back and, and looking at some of his work, especially that shadow of the bat series that he kicked off uh, really some, some really creepy Zaz stuff in that first arc. Yeah, for sure. And one thing we talked about when we discussed the passing of Tim sale, if you go back to, if you go to DC universe infinite and you type in the, the creator's name, you find a wealth of, of knowledge that, that I, at least I did anyway, I found a wealth of knowledge that I didn't know that this, this, this great man was involved in, but there's so many works that his name is attached to that. It's a fascinating deep dive. And I absolutely think he deserves your attention. So, um, with, you know, it's, it's been a couple of weeks now, um, since the passing, but absolutely take the time, go to DC universe infinite. If you have that subscription, go to comiXology, whatever you have, go, go to your, go to your local comic book store and just look for some Alan Grant work. Cause I think he deserves your time. Um, but let's, uh, let's move on to a slightly happier note. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> one of our very first episodes was chronicling, uh, the journey of Batfleck and Ben Affleck. And it seems like the journey that, that just won't end. I mean, you know, we thought that Ben had hung up the Cape at one point and, you know, there was a lot of hubbub. There was some rumors going into com, uh, comic con, um, and we all know what that rumor was and it, it didn't happen. And, you know, some people had gotten their hopes up and it was kind of dashed. But the week after, leave it to Jason Momoa to lift our spirits because he kind of let leak on his Instagram and then some of the trades confirmed it. Apparently that Ben Affleck will appear as Batman or Bruce Wayne at the very least in Aquaman two. So Joe, we're getting a little more Batfleck. Yeah. Any more Batfleck is good. Um, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, what's the saying? Look a gift horse in the mouth here. Um, <laughs> exactly. we're, we're confirmed to get more Ben Affleck as Batman and whatever the reason may be, I am all for it. I'm, you know, we're kind of having our cake and eating it too at this point with the, you know, the fans of the Snyderverse that, you know, like me and you are both fans of Zack Snyder and, and, you know, his work on justice league and, and, you know, man of mm-hmm. steel and PBS all obviously. So yeah, I, even though if, even if they're not going to continue on with, you know, justice league two with his story or whatever, we're still getting these characters in some form or another living on. And mm-hmm. I'm happy to have that. I'm happy to have the films that we have on the slate going forward I'll I'll just take what we can get, and right now, more Ben Affleck in Aquaman is just—it's just fun. Like that's just so cool that that Ben is is willing to do that. You know, I know people are speculating that it has to do with maybe Keaton was supposed to be in it, but because the the slate changed, he's going to kind of take that spot. I don't know how true that is or what, but he still has to say yes, and I. You know, they could have just totally gotten rid of that cameo altogether because he didn't mm-hmm. want to come back. But, hey, we're getting him in the flash. We're getting him in this. That's 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 good news for me. Well, and 
I want to make it very clear that I don't expect any big, like I don't expect them to come out and announce a Ben Affleck Batman movie or anything like that. That's, that's not what this is. And I, and I completely understand that, but that does not detract from the joy that I have and knowing that, um, I think it was Andy DeGenova that said to us, you know, just it's awesome that Ben is such a good sport exactly, and he knows that they need him. And he decided to, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, guys, you, you need me to do this. I'm in. And that's awesome. Um, I know that, you know, he's had a tumultuous history playing Batman, some ups and some downs, but I think he enjoys the character and he enjoys the fans enough to say that, you know what? Yeah, this is important. So I'm here for it. And I appreciate that. So if it's, it's, if, the Flash and Aquaman 2 are the last we ever get of him. Great. At least we, you know, at least we get to say goodbye. And that's, I think that's awesome. So I'm excited for it. Um, I think I said it, uh, I can't even remember the episode, but when we were talking about when the Flash and Aquaman were scheduled to be this year, I was so thrilled that we were going to have, you know, three big screen live action Batman in Pattinson, Keaton, and Affleck. And we still have that coming. We've already gotten Pattinson. Now we're going to get more of Keaton and Affleck. And it's it's a really good time to be a Batman fan, I would say. Oh, yeah. And now we're confirmed to get Ben in two films in one year next year. So mm-hmm. on top of that, you know, because of the slate change, we're actually getting more Ben than we might have gotten in the first place. And, you know, we you, like you said, they need him. We've said from day one, Ben didn't need this. He wanted to do this. And even with all the the circumstances surrounding it, he's still willing to come back and do his part, you know, when reasonable and when he wants to. And yeah, it's, it's really cool that he's coming back for this. And yeah, like it could be just a Bruce Wayne cameo. He might not be suiting up and I don't care either way. I just, he's still coming back as the character. I mean, his cameo in suicide squad was so much fun just to have him in there for that two seconds. There's some awesome Batman stuff in that movie. Yeah, and uh, like, I, I totally forgot about the Batman part. I was referring to just the Bruce Wayne part at the end. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. you know, so yeah, it's again just just more wins. Absolutely. So good news all around on that front. Um, but speaking of another Batman, we also have Keanu Reeves as Batman in DC's League of Super Pets, which is now out in theaters. I have not had a chance to see it yet. But Joe, being uh, the family man he he is, he uh, took his daughter out and they saw DC's League of Super Pets. So without spoiling anything, Joe, um, you've seen the movie. Uh, let's get your spoiler-free thoughts on it because I'd, I'd love to hear what you thought. I had a blast with it. Um, as a dog lover, um, I mm. have... <laughs> he's a little Shih Tzu, but I have a little dog. His name is Ace. Um, you know, not coincidentally, his name is Ace. That was completely intentional. And, uh, I, this movie got me from the beginning, like from the start, I don't want to spoil it, but man, this movie had way more heart than I expected. And it's not a plot that's going to, you know, blow your mind. It's not a film that's going to change the world. You know, it's not like an you know, Oscar winning animated film, that kind of thing. I mean, I I don't know if they're going to do that or not. I I wouldn't be against it, but I don't think it's that kind of film, but I had a blast with it. If a film can get me emotional, that's about, you know, it's a film with 
animals and superpowers and it got me emotional more than once so to me i'm always going to give films the benefit of the doubt that can hit me there and let's be honest i'm a softy most things can hit me there but still <laughs> you, you you still need to get there and i think it did a really nice job of balancing that that heart when it comes to animals or pets or their owners and relationships that animals have with whether it be kids or just people in general um i definitely recommend seeing it uh my daughter had a good time with it it's it's what i personally think we would want from a super pets film it's got you know all the superheroes it's got the justice league and it's got you know it's got ace it's got crypto it's got some random pets i don't know how much canon there is to Wonder Woman having a pig or um, the Flash having a turtle, but I think it's pretty awesome. And I think the the representation of the the Justice League was really cool too. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I definitely recommend it. Go see it and uh, just have a good time with it. Awesome. Well, yeah, and and the encouraging news is the movie's getting really good reviews. It's getting good audience scores. Um, so yeah, go check it out. Go check out DC's League of Super Pets. I plan on seeing it as soon as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. So good to hear good things from you, Joe, because we always want <laughs> good news around the newest DC films. Um, but speaking of DC films, let's get into what we are here to discuss today. Joe, we have an anniversary episode, and anniversary episodes inevitably make me feel old. Um, but especially this one, because it just doesn't feel that long ago. Uh, we're here to talk about today, the 10 year anniversary of the conclusion of the dark Knight trilogy of the dark Knight rises. So Joe, it's been 10 years. Can you believe that it's been 10 years since this movie came out? You know, I didn't even think about it until you just said it because I'm like, oh yeah, it's an anniversary of Dark Knight Rises. Cool, no big deal. And then you're like, you just ten years. Like, how is the end of the Dark Knight trilogy ten years old already? Like, that maybe did should be ten years old. Like, <laughs> the yeah, Dark yeah. Knight Rises should not be the one that we're celebrating a ten year anniversary of. But that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it it's so weird because it's like these these anniversaries just kind of sneak up. Because when, you know, when we were talking about what the episodes we were going to do this year and kind of mapping out the schedule a little bit, which which we never are able to stick to. But anyway, that's podcasting. When you talk about the anniversaries and you see films like this that just feel like they shouldn't be that old, it's like, ah, oh, geez. It, you know, I, I remember, you know, exactly where I went to go see it opening night and, and just the feelings leading up to it and things like that, which we're going to talk about, but it's just, it's staggering that it's been that long ago. And you know, then you, then you look at people who I can't imagine, you know, people who went to see 89 in the theater, (laughs) you know, how that must feel being, you know, over, over, over 30 years ago now. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's just baffling, but let's talk about the film itself. Let's start with, Memories about the film, Joe. I want to get your input. What What are your memories of like the lead up? Um, you just what you remember about the marketing, and then ultimately about your experience with with seeing it for the first time. Well, I ha- I have an interesting story with this. So when this movie was coming out, this this was definitely the first time I had ever really followed a movie beat for beat, 
Mm. Any bit of news that came out for this, I was all over. Um, the Dark Knight, I was anticipating it, but the internet was still in its early stages from what I remember. Like, I didn't have a smartphone when The Dark Knight came out, you know? So, with The Dark Knight Rises, I think, like, everything really came to a head with that, where I followed it every day. Any little bit of anything came out, I was on it. And so, when the film was about to come out, no joke, me and my wife were... Um, planning like a trip around that time and i'm like hey let's go away the week the dark knight rises is coming out because i want to be distracted when people start seeing this movie i don't want to see any news around this movie because i know i will be too tempted to look at my phone or look at reviews and stuff so if we're on vacation and we're busy <laughs> i won't do that like so we actually planned a trip we actually flew back from las vegas the Thursday that the film was dropping that night. And mm -hmm. then we literally got into the house and I think we pulled in, went inside, put our stuff away. And then we met some friends to go to the midnight showing that night. And it's the only to this day, still the only midnight showing I've ever gone to. Um, there are reasons for that, that I'm sure we'll get into, unfortunately, because of what happened in Colorado um, but mm -hmm. this was, this was a movie that I had to see at midnight. I remember I watched Batman Begins in the Dark Knight on the plane on the way home to lead up to this. And then I could not wait to see this film. I, I may have read one review prior to, to actually seeing it. And it was a non-spoiler review. And I was even like hesitant to do that. I was so amped for this movie. And I just, I... I was not going to let anything ruin this movie for me. I was so excited for it. I mean, with all the love behind Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, I don't think this movie could ever have lived up to the height of the Dark Knight. But for me, it was just the whole, you know, everything surrounding this film, I was just all in on. Yeah, um, I, I, I was right there with you. This This was also the first and only midnight release that I've been to. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so I was, this was right in the peak of my Batman fever pits, just building up and building and building and building mm -hmm. because, you know, I was rekindled with, with Batman begins. And then the dark Knight was one of the most amazing cinematic experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. Just freaking love that movie. Love both movies. So I was over the moon excited about this movie. Um, I knew that it was Nolan's last Batman movie. Uh, there was all that hype going into it. There was, you know, of course, the insanely unreasonable expectations coming off of The Dark Knight. Because, I mean, how do you top that? You know? Mm -hmm. Seriously. But, you know, this, this felt like a massive event. And in North Carolina at the time, because that's where I was born and raised and that's where, you know, that's where I was living at the time, we didn't have the availability of IMAX like, like we do now. They're everywhere. Um, but at the time, we had to drive to Raleigh, which is the capital of North Carolina, to go to the IMAX. And my brother and I went to the midnight screening of the Dark Knight Rises in IMAX at the um, 
I think it's the Museum of Natural Science. That's that's the only IMAX we had at the time. Mm-hmm. So we went to that midnight showing. Um, this was also my little brother. This was his very first uh, Batman film in a movie theater. So he had never seen a Batman movie in a theater before. So this was his first one. Um, he was thrilled. He was, oh gosh, 10 years ago. He was 12, 13, somewhere in there. So yeah, first big screen Batman movie. He's thrilled. Um, and I will tell you, going into the movie, going into that theater, they did this awesome thing where, um, and I don't, I've never seen this again, but before the movie came out, or before the movie started, they had an IMAX tech come in the theater and he talked about, you know, the power of IMAX and he talked about the speaker systems and just the, all the specifications of the screen and all this stuff. And then they did a little intro with Chris Nolan before the movie. They had like a pre-recorded spot where Chris Nolan talked about shooting it in IMAX for this special event and all this kind of stuff. So it felt like a huge, it felt like a sports event, honestly. Um, we, we had the awesome man of steel trailer right before the movie started, which was, you know, just, mm-hmm. just got us even more into a fever pitch. And then we watched the movie and I will tell you that regardless of, you know, the flaws of the movie at the time, I saw none of it. It was an amazing movie going experience. Um, me and my brother were at the edge of our seats the whole time. Loved the movie at the time, and I left the theater thinking, and and of course this changed very quickly, but I was thinking I may have just seen the best Batman movie ever. I and and I that was extreme recency bias. I know that now, but I was just buzzing coming out of that movie theater, and then my mom called me, and she was panicked, and she's just freaking out, and I was like, "What's wrong?" And because of the delay with the, you know, with, with the intro that we got and the guy talking about IMAX and all that, apparently a few minutes before our theater left out was when the shooting in, in Colorado happened. And the local news in North Carolina freaked my mother out because she didn't know if it was an isolated event or if it was something that was happening at several different theaters, you know, people didn't know if it was a terrorist thing or what. And she was panicked because me and my younger brother were two hours away from home. And she didn't know if this was happening at different locations or what. So immediately we went from this high of seeing this movie that we just loved at the time to Holy crap. You know, how can this happen? So just briefly, I kind of want to, I kind of want to touch on that um, because inevitably when you talk about this movie and when it came out, this comes up. So Joe, what do you remember? When did you first find out about the shooting? What do you remember the detail wise or, or, or just whatever? What do you, what do you remember about that incident? Well, first off, I just like to say your poor mom, because for her to even be up that late watching the news, she had to have been nervous about you guys to begin with. And then, well, again, my brother was 12, 13 years old. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the poor woman, you know, is nervous just about you guys being two hours away to go see a movie. And then this happens and it just builds on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
when I got out of the theater because of the time difference, I don't think it happened yet. Or if it did, it was like, I just went home and went to bed and never checked my phone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't find out about it till the next morning. And it definitely was one of those things like, oh man, like how, and my first reaction was anger. And mm-hmm. I don't mean this to sound trivial because again, I'm not belittling what happened. Like it's, it's obviously terrible that this person, you know, took people's lives. But I took it as, how dare you do this in, like, I looked at it as, like, how dare you do this in my house? Like, the movie theater is our place. Yeah. How dare you do this, not only in our place, but for a Batman movie, too? Like, what audacity do you have to do something like this? And it's just disgusting. It, It really, it was hard to think about the movie that way, or at that time, but I was, I was just angry because it felt like a, like a, a personal attack. And I know that again, I don't mean it to sound like I'm making it about me, but when you think about how someone can do something like that, like, it's just, it's horrible. And, and there was no way to, there's now no way to talk about this movie without, uh, having that conversation because it is so devastating and I can't imagine what people in that area went through trying to find out if their loved ones were at the theater that night or not. I mean, look at what your mom went through and you were nowhere near that theater Mm -hmm. because, and now because of something like that, it does, you know, it is in a lot of people's the back of their minds when they go see any movie now and you know to the to midnight showing the reason i never went to another midnight showing after that was because i think that's when the preview showing started um they like kind of steered away from the midnight showings after that and went towards you know the nine o'clock showings or the seven o'clock and then it's just slowly gotten earlier and earlier Mm -hmm. on thursday nights well and even some wednesdays now yeah, it's kind of random now. Like I, I saw Super Pets at two o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday. Yeah. And it yeah. comes out on Friday. So it's it really did you know, for something so tragic, it it had such a lasting effect on the movie going public. I mean, I have family members that still to this day do not like going to the movie theater because they fear for something like that happening. And I'm the type of person that's not gonna let something like that um, ruin something that I love, but I can't blame people for, for having that in the back of their mind. And I, listen, it is in the back of my mind, you know, taking my daughter to the movie theater nowadays, it stinks to have to even think about something like that. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately it is kind of the, the world we live in right now where you have to kind of think about that stuff too often. But yeah, it's, you know, not to, to go on with that too long, but um, yeah, no, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, overshadow the episode with it but i I did want to i did want to acknowledge it because you know so people so people went in excited for this and and wanting to enjoy it and you know they ended up paying for it with their lives and that's unfortunate and and i i think they deserve you know acknowledgement but we'll 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 leave it there um but yeah before i forget okay i i wanted to ask you did you see the prologue in imax attached to mission impossible ghost protocol i did not i did not so i did not see the the prologue for the dark knight 
I did not see the prologue for this one. Um, it was not until after this movie, I can't remember the first movie I saw uh, a Nolan prologue or, or, or clip from the movie for, but I kind of actively avoided them. Yeah. I remember you saying you kind of chose that now that you're saying, yeah, that. yeah I, I actively sought it out. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I thought that was such a cool thing. Cause so the dark Knight I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was attached to, I am legend. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, this, I remember cause I wasn't even a mission impossible guy, but I remember thinking, wow, they're going to show the prologue of this. I need to go see this. And I wasn't, um, I don't think I was as aware of the impact of IMAX, uh, yet at that point, mm-hmm. but I knew it was only showing in front of 70 millimeter IMAX. So you couldn't go to just a digital IMAX theater and see the prologue. So I unknowingly went to the biggest, best IMAX theater in the country (laughs) to see um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Uh, Side note, I found a new love for Mission Impossible franchise while doing this. And that's that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember it was before you could, you know, pre purchase your seat we sat in like the second row because i had to drive to new york to do it and but man it's pretty immersive when you're in the second row i'm sure (laughs) how was your neck afterwards oh (laughs) it was (laughs) well when you go to the bigger imax screens they you're sat back a little bit further anyway Mm -hmm. but man what an experience to see this and one thing on that note as far as the imax it's it's one thing to see it in imax but when you're home Please, people, do not watch this digitally because it's cropped digitally. You need to watch the disc if you can because when when the ratio opens up to those IMAX screens, it it gives you so much more of the picture. And I, for whatever reason, Nolan doesn't give you that on any of the digital versions of the film. But I'm watching it right now on, I think, HBO Is that Nolan's choice? I think it is. Um... I don't know that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure, I, I mean, I don't know why that would be the case otherwise, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And this segment of the show has been Joe Forno's AV corner. <laughs> my, my, my weird, um, I have a weird hang up with aspect ratios <laughs> and things being cropped. So, but yeah, so that's my, that's my two cents with the IMAX stuff and, and, yeah. You and uh, Kevin McCarthy from Real Blend are kindred spirits, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so far as getting into the actual movie itself, Joe, you know as well as I do that, um, you know, this movie has its detractors, and I feel like it's gotten worse over the years. It has. I'm going to really try hard to not uh, be angry about that because i still love this movie yeah and i know you do and i still really i i love this movie too i recognize that it has a lot of flaws i do yes um i don't think this this movie's perfect i have problems with it um but i do i still love this movie um i love it for many factors one the reason I, i really still enjoy this movie first and foremost i mean and second there is some of that nostalgia of of the experience of first seeing this thing and the way we saw it. And, and of course it was my brother's 
introduction to watching Batman on the big screen. So there is some nostalgia there too. Um, but there is so many great, great choices that Nolan made with this movie. Uh, first of all, I think the casting of um, Tom Hardy as Bane was just excellent casting. And I don't care what anybody says, and I'm going to let you discuss this because I know this is something that that you have some thoughts on. I love Bane's voice in this movie. I don't care if it's not, you know, what the comics may have led you to believe Bane might sound like or anything like that or what the animated series Bane sounded like. I don't care. I love Tom Hardy's choice of, of how he spoke through Bane in this, in this movie. So, so let's go ahead and get that out of the way, Joe Bane's voice. Uh, It never bothered me. I I think it's creepy as hell. Um, I don't, I mean, I understand people maybe being a little miffed that it's not a Latino sounding voice. And I mean, Tom Hardy's not a Latino actor. I understand that aspect of being upset about it. Um, But as far as the voice as it is, it doesn't bother me in the least. I think it sounds um, a little too fake due to the fact that they have to boost the audio because he's speaking through a mask. And if they did it, quote-unquote realistically you wouldn't hear him as clear and we've we've discussed this me and you about how in the original IMAX prologue his his audio is very hard to hear and but it sounded more realistic that way it sounded more it sounded less amplified but you're watching a movie you want to be able to hear it so obviously the right the criticism under that prologue got them to address it and it sounds much more you know um it's it's much more easily to or easier to understand him in the final product, and I've never had an issue with the voice. I think he does a great job in the performance, and you know, his performance is based off his eyes and his voice. You can't see his facial expression, so it, it had to be very. When his body language as well. Yes, um, but he had he had to rely on you know emoting a certain way with his voice. It couldn't just be mm-hmm. a regular voice because so much of the performance had to be in that tone. There was that, that one scene. And first of all, Tom Hardy got insanely jacked to play Bane. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he looks massive and Tom Hardy is not a big guy, but he just looks so intimidating in this movie. And there's that scene with Ben Mendelsohn when Mendelsohn's all, you know, ticked off because things aren't going according to what he thought the plan should have been. And he, you know, when he screams, I'm in charge and it was such a dream. I thought it was just such an intimidating moment that the only thing that Bane does is lightly lay his hand on Mendelssohn's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you feel in charge? Yeah. And that I, in the theater, I was like, Oh, <laughs> that the, he didn't, you know, he didn't have to yell. He didn't have to scream. He didn't have to be the over, over the top villain, but he was intense and intimidating in that moment. And I thought that was the moment I thought, yeah, Tom Hardy was perfect for this. Well, and just like you were saying how massive he is height wise, he's actually shorter than Christian Bale. I give a lot yeah. of credit to the way this film is shot that you never get that uh, perspective at all. It's shot to the point of seeing how how massive he is. And 
Well, they always shoot him at angles or from below. They just make him seem bigger than life. And he's towering over Batman the whole movie. Yeah. And speaking of intimidating, I mean, that fight between Batman and Bane, I, I still think, you know, people, people like to take jabs at Nolan a lot for fight choreography and things like that. And I still love this fight because it is devastating and brutal. And we all knew it was coming, but, or at least I think we thought it was coming. But then when, when the, the when the back break actually happened, it was still like, holy crap, they went there. Yeah. Cause it seems so obvious, but you don't know if he's actually going to do it. And then when he does it, you're like, well, of course he's going to do it. <laughs> like yeah. you, you almost like argue with yourself while it's happening. But to, to what you were saying about Nolan with his fight choreography, I almost feel like his, the way he shoots fights almost lended itself to that scene because it is such a methodical and slow build that whole fight, which makes it almost more intense with no score in that scene where if you're going for like this huge action moment Mm -hmm. with a score and everything, sometimes his fight choreography could seem a little slow or whatever, but it just works better in the way that scene is shot. And the, just the tense, the tension, I'm sorry, excuse me. The tension in that scene is so just rough to watch. It's it's weird because you're watching it and you're loving it, but you're just uncomfortable watching it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Tom Hardy is is the big part of that. Uh, let's talk about an, one of the other new castings for this film in Anne Hathaway. Um, she was cast as Selena Kyle, uh, a.k.a. Catwoman, although she's never referred to as Catwoman in the movie, which is one thing that kind of bugs me a little bit. But it's it's neither here nor there. Zoe Kravitz is never called Catwoman either. Um, but, yeah, Anne Hathaway, what did you think of her performance in The Dark Knight Rises? Oh, I love her as Catwoman. Um, she's great. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, she's, she's gorgeous to start with that. I mean, get that out of the way. <laughs> she's yes. definitely, um, you know, a, a great actress. And I, I, the way she plays the part, you know, just coming from at the time, what we got from Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, in Batman returns, this was such a different interpretation. And, in my opinion, at the time, this was the most comic accurate version of her, whether they call her Catwoman or not. I preferred this version to Michelle Pfeiffer's. That's not taking away from Michelle Pfeiffer's because I still love Batman Returns. It's just different interpretations. And this is more my style of what I would mm-hmm. want Catwoman to be. And I love her performance. I love the, you know, the like the conniving way about her where she's trying to, you know, she's literally just a cat burglar and she's doing things and trying to work things to her benefit while also working both sides. And I, I just really loved how she flipped on a dime and, and, you know, that, that perfect scene of her, you know, um, Oh, what the heck is the, the, the thing she says, right. As she flips, um, I can't even. Oh, well, um, she's she's broken into Bruce's safe and he he walks in on her and says that you know the manufacturer assured me that this was this safe was unbreakable mm-hmm. and she said well nobody told me it was unbreakable yeah <laughs> i love that crackable yep. oh crackable that's what it is yeah. yeah which i yeah that's very um that's so catwoman so and yeah just her I, walking 
her walking away, taking the little disguise off. It's just it's just very subtle things that she was really, really great at in this. The subtlety of the performance, I think, is my favorite part because it's not over the top to me. It's it's just really she brings a lot to the character in this film. And I like I said, it's just more my my type of catwoman as opposed to Michelle Pfeiffer. But you know, I, I love I, I don't think we've had a bad uh, Catwoman portrayal in a Batman film. No, I don't think we have either. That's a a good point. Um, Marion, I'm going to butcher her last name. Cotillard. Cotillard. Okay, thank you. As Miranda Tate, Talia Al Ghul. Um, The worst kept secret that this film had, unfortunately. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Not not well, um, yeah. Not well telegraphed at all. We all knew it was coming, but it, it's okay. It's I still well, like here, where so, they were going with the story. Um, I will say, worst on-screen death ever. <laughs> yeah, let's just get that out of the way and not spend time on that. We'll we'll go there. Here's the funny part with me. So, I, I did you see the set photos of her as Talia? Like that's how pretty much everyone kind of knew. I mean, everyone kind of speculated that ahead of time. But did you see the set photos too? No, I I did I was not at a point where I was uh, where I was digging into to internet yeah, I, movie. Talk I don't remember how like I found them, but they were out there. And the funny thing is, I'm watching the movie knowing she's Talia because it was out there, and mm-hmm. I got so wrapped up in the movie I forgot. And then when she did turn, it's like, oh, they did it! Like, duh, you knew that was going to happen. <laughs> and like, but that's how I was sucked into this film so much by that point that I had forgotten that like you knew she was going to turn like everybody mm-hmm. knew it, but you, you, I still watch the movie. It's like, even when you watch a movie that you've seen, you know, a million times, you're like, I wonder if this time they're not going to be the killer. Or I wonder if this time they're not going to do this. Like I, I still had that feeling throughout the movie, but yeah, yeah I, I let other than the, the pain, you know, the, the, the painful to watch death scene, I really do like her as Talia in this. I just, yeah, with that scene, I don't understand, as amazing as Nolan is, how he saw that and was like, yep, that's the cut, that's the take. We're sticking with that one. (laughs) But yeah, I don't get it. But anyway, um, moving on. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as John Blake. I think he was As Alberto Falcone. (laughs) That was the rumor, apparently. Um, Everybody knew he was Alberto Falcone in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, John Blake. So that this was, I think this was the the only other really big uh, new character for the film. We had some other supporting characters, things like that. But um, John Blake as, as uh, well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt here is John Blake. What did you think of his character? And of course, what did you think of the uh, much maligned Robin Nod at the end of the movie? All right, so this is not going to, you know, people aren't going to be happy with my take on this. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> I have never had a problem with the Robin thing at the end. Uh, I like John Blake in this movie. I think he serves the purpose that Nolan was was doing. At the time, Nolan was not going to do Robin. We knew Ro- Nolan was not going to do Robin. So I am the sucker that bought into... Like most people look at what he did with Robin as a, a slap in the face. I was the the sucker that said, no, thank you, Nolan, for giving us your version of Robin. Um, 
I think it could have been delivered a little better, but I'll be honest with you, when they said the word Robin in the theater, before the internet got to me, before all the other crap got to me, I loved it. I loved it, and I will not let the internet tell me I'm not allowed to love it. Well, I'll tell you this, and I don't know what your experience was on opening night, but when she said that, when she said Robin, people clapped. Yeah, I probably was one of them. In my I probably theater, got a little choked up in all honesty. I mean, I was I was pretty choked up from when the, you know, he's talking to Gordon. I, mm-hmm. I I don't think I had a dry eye from that point to the end of the movie. I was so into it and just loving every second of the film. Now, I will say I am kind of with you. I don't hate this moment. I think this moment could have been executed better. Um I I yes. like I like what Nolan wanted to do. I think it was too on the nose almost like, yeah, they could have just said like your, your real name is Dick Grayson or Tim Drake or or whatever. Exactly. I, I I think a better way to go about it. And I'm not, I'm not a writer. So take this for what it's worth. But if she'd have, if she'd have said the name doesn't match and he just said, well, I changed my name, you know, well, you should go by your real name. I like Richard Grayson or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. just something more than Robin, you know, it's, and, but my defense of that is he was going for an amalgamation of all the characters. So he didn't want to say one or the other. I respect that again. It got me on opening night. I don't remember who's, I think it's Zaki Hassan says if, if you have to watch a movie more than once to pick up a plot hole, it doesn't count. Um, I that's will a, say that's, a good I point. love that. I personally think that's a great line. Um, I will say that for even something like this. Like if you have to watch a movie like more than once to say you don't like something, it doesn't count. Like if you liked it the first time you watch it, own it and just keep liking it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but I get why people might not like it. It's a little on the nose. It's a little tongue in cheek. Fine. Whatever. But I, I like it. And otherwise he had a great performance in the movie. And I like, like, I know everyone always said like, oh, he's going to be Batman at the end. He's going to be Batman at the end. I still, that was the whole point. Like it just because it's obvious doesn't make it bad. Well, and I think the whole point was Batman. Well, and and it's a point that I'm kind of torn on because ultimately Bruce Wayne is Batman for me. And that's, that's how I choose my, my Batman to be. Um, If, if it's not Batman, I'll take Dick Grayson. But, you know, it's, I get what Nolan was going for. Batman, you know, Gotham needs Batman. Batman must persevere and he he can be anybody. So I, I guess that was the point they were going for there. And they kind of, and I, any, I didn't want him suited up. So I will say that that was my worry going in was he was going to actually suit up at the end. I'm yeah. glad we didn't get him suited up as Batman. It was no, the symbol I, I love, of him becoming Batman. I love the ending of the, you know, the platform in the cave coming up and just cutting to black. I love that. Yes. I think it's great. I do too. Uh, I will say, since we've kind of gone through some of the characters, and we, and we will talk about, I, I do think this may be the weakest performance of the three movies by Gary Oldman. Um, And... It's it's honestly a little little unfair because he didn't have quite as much to do, which is weird because a lot of the stuff was focused on on him in Gotham as Batman was gone. Um, but I don't know, just something about and, and 
the thing is, it's still a good performance because Gary Oldman does not give a bad performance as James Gordon. But it's just something yeah, it takes me out of it. Because I never bit. thought about it. I, I there's a scene between him and 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 um, John Blake in the apartment where where uh, Blake is hiding Gordon, mm-hmm. and it's that whole exchange about like when Oldman gets this just weird look on his face and he's like when you have to plunge your hands into the filth yes. and i just i've never liked that scene and something so about it just takes me out of the movie my take on this here's my take on this i wouldn't say it's bad but i will say gary oldman performs the character very differently in each of the three films mm-hmm. it's like he's kind of doing a different character in each film based on the film he's in does that make sense to you well like, and if you go like I agree with you, yeah. but it makes sense from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight because he's transitioning from that lieutenant, you know, on the rise to he's the commissioner. He's got way more responsibility now. I understand that yeah. transition. There's something about that transition from the second to the third that just it doesn't work as well. Yeah, to me, I took it always as he is just at an end. He is worn down after the, you know, the eight year gap between the two films and he's trying to bring that to his performance and it comes off almost I don't want to say campy but I understand what you're saying in that one scene it's almost over the top for him Mm -hmm. is that like is that how you kind of take it where it's just a little too much it was it was one of the very few times in this whole trilogy where I saw Gary Oldman I didn't see James Mm -hmm. Gordon if that makes sense Yeah, and it's funny because when you started talking about that, that was the scene that popped into my head. So mm-hmm. I understand where you're coming from, where something about that scene always seemed a little off. But I still love Gary Oldman's performance in this, other than that scene. And yeah, because I mean, I'm, I still, on the, the f- scene doesn't bother me, but it does. It does stand out. So I I can't even disagree with you there. Yeah, because on the flip side of that, I mean the the tribunal scene where um where Scarecrow is is going to send him out on the ice. Mm-hmm. I, when Gordon says, if you crane, if you think I'm going out on that ice, you got another thing (laughs) coming. That's very James Gordon like that. That is so good, but it's just like you said, I think he was playing a very different character here and it just doesn't work as well as it does in the first two. Um, okay. Well, we've kind of talked about some of the characters. Uh, We're not going to spend the entire time on it, but, um, Let's talk about some of what are you, what are some of your favorite moments or parts of this movie, Joe? My favorite part of the movie is the part that some people don't like because <laughs> I I mean well, all right, so I have two favorite parts. My I love the the Bane fight. The the first Bane fight I think is is just if I'm going to watch one scene in this film, that's probably the scene I go to. Mhm. Um I mean, the prologue is amazing. Uh, the first, you know, the first uh, sighting of Batman, his return is great. But if I have to pick one specific moment of this film, it is a hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know the world hadn't ended. I lost it in the theater. And I will defend this moment forever. Do I get that it's a little long? Yes. But I'm telling you, 
this is when I lost it and I didn't recover until the film ended. Because for him to tell Commissioner Gordon what he has meant to him after all these years, it was perfect for me. Because that was the scene where Gordon let him know that everything was going to be okay. When, when to, to go back to Batman Begins, when, you know, Loeb is there and he's saying, you know, we got him, son. We got him. And Bruce is like, who cares if you got him? My parents are dead. Mm-hmm. And Commissioner Gordon, or at the time, you know, whatever it was, Sergeant Gordon or Lieutenant Gordon, at the time, he's the one that reassures Bruce that it's going to be okay. And maybe it's me looking too much into the scene of what it means as opposed to the delivery of the scene, but I think that's how it's supposed to go, and I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. I'm I'm almost with you. I love the moment. I don't love the delivery. It's just, I don't know. It's one of those times where I wish Bale would have dropped out of the voice. I never, I never liked that criticism. I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I, I get it, but it, it just sounds, it, it, it's almost like it, the, the line is too long for that, for that voice. Um, the only reason I, I will defend his voice is because no Batman in any medium, as far as I know, has ever gone back to his Bruce Wayne voice when he's in the cow. No, no, um, no, I get that. But I almost like, I love what the moment represents so much that I almost wish instead of, instead of the whole like roundabout way of telling him he was Bruce Wayne, I almost wish he'd have took the mask off. Oh no, I think that's nah, I think that's too cheesy. I, I don't like that. I mean, I I, I, I get it. That. I get it, but it's just for me something about the delivery of the line doesn't work. The only thing I can defend or can understand the criticism of that or at least get on that side is the the Bruce Wayne delivery from Gordon. I can I could do Yeah, I don't like that, that. either. <laughs> I can do without that, but that's that's Nolan's not subtle way of saying he never knew because he didn't care to look or he never he never cared who it was, and he says that flat out. I never cared who you were, so he he didn't have to say the Bruce Wayne thing because it does come off a little clumsy. But again, I I I don't care. <laughs> it's again well, and that's the thing. I, I think there was a better way to do it, but I don't know a better way to do it. And that's the thing with me is if it gets me emotionally, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to tell you there's a better way to do it because you got me already. So how can I fault you for getting across what you wanted to do? Yeah. In my, again, this is just for me that I can't speak for anyone else. If it didn't work for you, then I can understand people saying, well, it didn't work for me. I wish they did it a different way for me. The minute he says, you know, when he started with the, coat on the shoulders i lost it yeah. because i knew when they were going back to that scene i didn't need the flashback ready to the flashback which is icing on the cake and i also love little subtle nods of the score when bruce is flying off with the bomb yeah i was just about to say this what you're what you're about to describe is my favorite scene in the movie um with, the score playing when he's flying off is the same score when he's putting the coat on his shoulders 
Well, yeah. And then as he goes over the bridge and the kids are, you know, you know, he's shooting debris out of his way from the building so so that he can get the bomb clear. And they think, you know, they think the bomb is going off. So Blake has the kids hunker down in the bus and as the, as the, the bat flies over the bridge that, you know, that, that Hans Zimmer dark Knight theme kicks in, you know, the bum, 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 and, and then you shut, they show in the cockpit and it's just this look on Bell's face that he, he acts, he acts through the mask and you can tell, I mean, at the moment, you know, we didn't know how it was going to end. I was like, holy crap, they're going to kill Batman. And I was, I never thought I'd be okay with it. But in the moment, I was perfectly okay with it. Because I was like, Batman absolutely would give everything to save Gotham City. And he was about to do it. And I, and as, as he was flying off and as the bomb went off there, I, I had tears like tears are rolling uh, down my face. <laughs> yeah, I was already I was already done with the with the interaction with Gordon and then when I thought they did kill him off and and I I'm very torn on the end of this because I love Bruce getting a happy ending, but I would have been okay with them killing him too because of what it represents. It's so hard because you can't have it both ways. And I feel like they tried to. They did, and that's that's my one because big they hang-up. got your emotion. Yeah, like they got you emotionally of, oh, we killed Batman. That's right. You're going to be sad that we killed Batman. And then they just kind of bring him back. But I was so, (laughs) like, I hate the term they earned it because I think it's so overused Mm -hmm. in a derogatory way. But I felt after watching this trilogy the whole way through and getting to the last five minutes, they earned whatever the hell they wanted to do at the end of this, if they were going to pull it off. And they did for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's, that's my one hang up with the ending. Cause uh, like you said, I love Bruce having a happy ending and I, I, I even love the moment that Alfred acknowledges that he's, you know, without saying a word, he acknowledges he's happy and he's finally living the life that Alfred always wanted him to. I like that. I do. But I, at that point, I almost wish they had have killed him. As weird as that is to say, as as a Batman fan, as weird as that is to say, from the moment where he told Catwoman, when she said, you've given the city everything, and he said, not everything, not yet, to the moment where the bomb went off, I'm like, he really did, he gave everything. And that's, and that, and that moment I think would have been way more impactful if they didn't do what they did at the end. Yeah. I can't argue with that. It's just, I, I still, when those drums kick in at the end, yeah, it did take my emotions to that next level, but they could have done that with, with John Blake without even revealing that Bruce was alive. You you could have done the same thing. (laughs) So I, yeah, it's tough because I think Alfred being happy means just as much as me, to me as Bruce being happy. Yeah, and I get and that I point think too. Knowing the whole theme of Alfred thinking that he had failed because Bruce died, mm-hmm. that's where I go back and forth with it because I, I love Alfred in this film. And yeah. to, for Alfred to get that happy ending knowing that Bruce is, you know, gonna try to be happy because like we say happy ending he's still a young man we don't know what could happen to his life as it goes on like 
just to know Alfred Alfred sees Bruce accepting that he could at least try to be happy and live a life I think means so much to him and oh yeah because I, I would think is a th- I would tell you that moment is a thematic thing for the whole trilogy yeah it's not just this one film no you're right and I would tell you that moment where Alfred is is apologizing at Martha and Thomas's grave oh man mm-hmm. oh god that wrecked yeah. me <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's brutal. Um, I did forget to mention when we were talking about Bane and Catwoman, one of my, one of my big hangups about this movie, one thing that really just every time I watch this movie, I hate the moment when Bane dies. Oh, I, I never bothered me. I, I, it's, I remember, <laughs> I remember I laughed in the theater. I still don't, see, I still love that. Well, see, I remember there was a guy in front of me. That when, you know, this, this big buildup and, and they're going through this fight again and, and Bane's got the upper hand once again, and he just gets shot by Catwoman just out of nowhere. The, there was a guy in front of me that said, well, that's bullshit. And <laughs> I said, I, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm with you. I did. I do not right. like that moment. I think it, I think it's so cheap the way they just quickly discard Bane after all this, the everything that's happened in this what? movie. But he had already been defeated by Batman. So I'm okay with it because Batman got his redemption. He won that fight and then Talia turned on Batman. So to me, it's I'm completely fine with it because one, let's be honest, you can't kill Bane with Batman because people lose their shit. Sorry. So it's a way to kind of dance around that and get Bane killed because But that's I, that's I, one I of those things works. again, why do why do you have to kill the villains? It's I, the end of the trilogy. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, it. I don't know. I just thought it was. I thought it, it was cheap. It brings closure to Bane. Yeah. yeah, it never bothered me because to me it doesn't cheapen him. He got killed by a a freaking. I don't know how many caliber weapon that is on the damn bat pod. It's it's not like he got killed by a pistol being shot at him. Like, I loved it. I still think it's a big jump scare too because that when he has the shotgun to Bruce. Or the Batman, and and then you just hear that bang. I I loved it. I, it does not bother me in the least. I think he got what was coming to him. Um, and, and that's and I I love that Catwoman comes in and saves him. I, I think it's cool. Yeah, and I think and it's a good it, punchline. I think it is a, a funny line. Well, and if you're good, you with know, people it, always complain that Nolan doesn't have a lot of humor. I think that's good humor. Well, and if you're good with it, I mean, that's you know, it's all you know. Menus at restaurants. We've heard that before, but that's, it's just one of those things I, I can never, I think it's because I like Bane so much. It just, I, I don't know. It, something about it doesn't sit right with me, but it's okay if it does for you. I'm, I'm but not, I don't think, I'm not trying to convince it, anybody. Satisfied. Like if people don't like how he was defeated, how, how would he have gotten defeated otherwise? I was perfectly okay with Batman incapacitating him how i you know i mean he had i see and that's where i think the talia twist like it works but then again it's like okay i I don't know because he had just defeated bane so the bane thing could have been done right there and i'd have been okay with it i don't know i again it's one of those things like the jim gordon batman conversation i don't know how to do it because i'm not a screenwriter i don't know a better way to to have done that it's just whatever they did what they did doesn't work for me (laughs) so i don't know Mm. but again i'm not trying to convince anybody it's just it's just a sticking point i have um but anyway are there uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. No. <laughs> so any other uh, any other highlights or lowlights you want to bring up, Joe? Um. No, I just. I think I just. I admit I. I may have a lot of blinders on for this film because I had so much fun with the build up to this and and I was so excited for the premise of having a three film arc for Batman, a beginning, a middle, and end, a trilogy that wasn't reliant on anything other than those three films. Like I, I just think it's such a cool thing. You know what? One thing I did want to say, um, this actually taught me a lot about anticipating a film too. Mm-hmm. Um, the first 45 minutes of this film flew by for me. And I think this is where I watch too many clips and watch too many trailers, every TV spot, everything I can get my hands on. I watched way too much mm-hmm. because the first 45 minutes, I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen when it's happening. I've seen this scene, I've seen this scene, I've seen this scene, and it flew by. And the beginning of this film is edited very quickly. I actually would have preferred this movie to be three hours because I think it could have stood some breathing room in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But some people think this movie's too long as it is, where me, I, I could take more of Batman at any point. But I I was in such like a fog watching this movie for the first time that I really... I was nervous after the first 45 minutes. And then once it kind of slows down the pacing of this film, that's when I really bought into it and got hooked because this is kind of where I adapted that. I need to see all these superhero films at least twice because I'm too amped up for the first viewing. Yep. (laughs) I fully agree. It's tough. Yeah. Like the beginning of this film, I was way too amped up. Like I, I didn't know what was going on. Like I, I knew every scene that was happening, but I was still like, my head was spinning. So it it taught me a lot about how to, to try to avoid as much as I can leading up to these films because I definitely, and I enjoyed the hell out of the ride for this one, but I, I watched too much. Mm-hmm. There was way too many TV spots and, and everything like that. But, but no, I, that's pretty much where I'm at with this. I mean, I, I do unabashedly love this film. There are definitely flaws here. I'm not blind to the flaws. I am just more willing to accept the flaws in this film and not dwell on them because this is the trilogy capper to probably my favorite trilogy of all time. I mean, I, I love this trilogy and, and this movie, I mean, I, there are times when I could say, I don't think now after so many years have passed, but there were times where I did say this was, you know, maybe my favorite of the trilogy. Mm. Uh, it's because I, I think it's, I think the biggest thing going against this film is it was too ambitious. I think it was, I mean, trying to pack in no man's land and nightfall and parts of the cult, which a lot of people forget that. I, I think this takes a lot from that with, with Bane and his army and everything. Um, there's a lot going on in this movie. And yeah. I think it maybe could have stood from not having so much, but it's weird. And I, I could probably talk about this movie way longer than we have time to, <laughs> but like the people criticize this movie for going against things that the first two movies set up 
but were also criticisms of the first two movies. Like people like kind of criticized the first two movies for being too realistic. And then they criticized this movie for maybe being a little bit too fantastical at times, because that was almost against what Nolan was kind of doing where. Yeah. And I will say, I want to, it's weird to balance that. Like, like they say, like the, the logo on the bridge is really cheesy. I don't care how cheesy it is. I think that's awesome. Like, I don't care how much that makes no sense. Like, yeah, like what did Batman go there and put gasoline on the freaking bridge to, before he shot? Like, I don't care how nonsensical that is. I think it's an awesome shot, and it's a superhero movie. You want fun stuff like that, still? Yeah, you can't absolutely. Criticize Nolan for not doing the superhero stuff, but then when he does it, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, I think he was trying to appease people with doing more fun stuff in this movie while also making it a really heavy topic and and a closure to the trilogy. And I, I think he did he did what I wanted from this movie. And I, I, I keep saying I forgive a lot in this movie. And I do, I admit that I I do forgive a lot of the flaws here, but I, I think there's really a lot to love in this movie with the flaws and everything. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Um, I, I do want to, that kind of, that kind of sounds like your, your final thoughts, Joe, is that, (laughs) um, but I, I did want to address one criticism that I hear a lot that I can't stand this criticism. And it's well, and and it never seemed to bother anybody until we got to this movie and it was kind of an ending and it's well, Batman was only Batman for like 18 months. Okay. I want to address this. Everybody that loves the realism that Nolan brought to the Batman franchise. And he absolutely did. There's a lot of real world things that he did in the, in these movies. If you, you can't, you can't, praise something and criticize it on the same token. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. If you're talking a realistic version of Batman, how long do you think somebody could last doing this? Because I thought in my opinion, him getting hurt so bad early on that he had to hang it up for eight years was pretty damn realistic. I mean, cause and, and, and my point has always been, um, if you take a UFC fighter and he fights tonight, it takes months for one of those fighters to recover. Can you imagine a real person going out and, and with, you know, withstanding the kind of punishment that Batman takes realistically every night and you think he's going to last for 20 years? That's just a criticism I've always hated. And I know that I kind of went on a tangent there, but that's, I, I can't stand that criticism because like you said, I re- the thing I am, I love the most about this trilogy is I have a set of films where I can watch a complete Batman story. Mm-hmm. Timeline be damned that I, I just love that. So I don't know if you want to talk about that or not, but that's, that's where I no, am well, with that. No, I, I agree with you. And I think the whole setup from the, Batman Begins is he was trying to be a symbol. He wasn't trying to do this forever. No, this Batman always wanted out. Yes, he always had an endgame. That Mm -hmm. was the whole point. Even in The Dark Knight, he wanted out. And I hate the criticism of he quit because Rachel died. No. He fights after Rachel dies in The Dark Knight. And nobody had a problem at the end of The Dark Knight. So why it seemed like they just threw every criticism at this movie that to me wasn't valid because you could also kind of put those criticisms on the other films too, Mm -hmm. where 
I don't know. It almost becomes the pile-on effect where if you don't like a couple things in the movie, you're going to pile on and find other things to criticize. Right. But I, and I don't know, I always was that guy where if you don't like it, kind of change your perspective on it where they do give you kind of outs here and there if you want them. Like he says, the last confirmed sighting was eight years ago. Who's to say in your mind, you can't say, well, maybe Batman fought for a year or two after that, but nobody ever saw him. He was just kind of in the shadows lingering. And then he just got too much for him. Yeah. You can, you can pick your own outs if you want them. Just don't, if you're going to hate things, just to hate things like you, you, you're bringing that on yourself at that point. Well, and it's clear, it's clear in the film that he wasn't completely done because obviously he had been developing this leg brace and, and all this other stuff. So yeah, I, the back cave is fully functional. Yeah. I mean, he went back in a Wayne Manor at some point, you know, it's, it's very different from where he was at the end of the dark Knight. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, we could, we could discuss and, and nitpick and praise different parts of this movie all day long, but we do, we do have to move on to some other topics, but yeah, but 10 years of The Dark Knight Rises. Love it, hate it. Let us know. Tell us about it um, on our social media or whatever. But before we move on, Joe, I did want to give you a final chance to anything else uh, kind of wrap up on The Dark Knight Rises. No, I, I think I pretty much said my piece. I know, I, I know I'm blinded to a lot of the, the criticism of this movie, but I, I will not apologize for, for finding reasons to love this and and the trilogy in itself because i do think there is something to be said about being able to watch three complete films especially nowadays Mm -hmm. where everything is a you know a huge structured thing and you know i can't even watch and this is not a criticism because i love the captain america movies but i hate the fact that i can't watch the three captain america movies and get a complete story right like i I love that I can, if I want to watch a, a Batman trilogy, I can literally watch all three of these movies and I don't want to have to watch anything else. It's just a complete story. And it's a fun day. I did this. <laughs> I did it a bunch of times years ago. Uh, it, it really is a really great experience. And that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I could, I could babble on about <laughs> this movie for, for a long time. Well, I am very much with you. Um, I, I don't think I love it quite as much as you do, but I still consider myself, you know, in, in the loving it category for this movie because there's a lot, there's a lot in here that I really, really enjoy. And again, it's it's a it's a three act structure with the three films that I, I love the continuity. Um, I love the themes that carry from one film to the other, and the individual themes of the films themselves. Um, Nolan had a specific. Uh, ideology for each film that he wanted to stick to. And I think he did it well. Um, I do think, unfortunately, this is the weakest of the trilogy, but you're talking about a a very, very strong trilogy. So even the weakest is a great film and there's something to be said about that. So yeah, um, 10 years of the dark Knight rises again. I cannot believe it's been that long since this wonderful trilogy ended. Um, But I'm glad, so glad that we have it because it changed. I think it changed Batman for the better for, for, you know, especially coming from Batman and Robin to what we got with this trilogy was a a godsend for, for DC comics and for Batman. So I'm thankful that we have them, but that's, that's where we're going to wrap it up. Our 10 year coverage of 
Batman, or excuse me, The Dark Knight Rises. It's so strange. It's still so strange, Batman movies without Batman in the title. But The Dark Knight Rises, uh, let us know. Hit us up on social media. Send us emails. Let us know what you think about this film. We would love to hear your opinions. But we're not quite ready to be done yet because, of course, we're diving back into our animated episodes because we're celebrating 30 years of Batman, the animated series. Okay, Joe, so this time we are covering the first appearance of the Riddler. We are talking about the Batman the Animated Series episode, If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich? And to give you a little synopsis of this episode, Edward Nigma creates a computer game, The Riddle of the Minotaur, and makes millions for the company Competitron. He is later fired by his superior, Daniel Mockridge, who wants the profits for himself. Angry, Nigma vows revenge, and two years later, he takes up the mantle of the Riddler and traps Mockridge inside a life-size version of the Minotaur Maze. Batman's sympathy is actually with Nigma, but he and Robin have to stop him before he kills Mockridge, despite the fact that Mockridge cannot legally be brought to justice. Batman and Robin struggle through the labyrinth, solving its many puzzles, despite having to leave their utility belts outside at Nygma's request. They manage to rescue Mockridge, but they cannot find the Riddler afterwards. He is is then shown far away from Gotham City, aboard an airplane, leaving Mockridge living in fear that he may one day return. So Joe, give me your thoughts on if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? (laughs) My first thought watching this film was actually in your synopsis. I had to bring it up. They took the utility belts again. And we really <laughs> need to start. We really need to start like taking note of that because man, it, has it happened in every episode? We should have started a counter. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I had never paid attention to it until you said it in the last episode. And <laughs> I was laughing when he goes, take off those utility belts. I'm like, wow, like these guys all got it figured out. Um, so that was my first takeaway, and I got to bring up, they they gave it a name in the episode, the pop-top computer on Batman's wrist. That was kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I I honestly, it just, it just came and went in the episode, and I didn't even think about it, but you're right. <laughs> like, it, how, how um, convenient that Batman had this thing on his wrist just for this episode, and he never has it again. Or before. Just so he can translate Arabic and, you know, like it basically has a smartwatch for, you know, one episode to do all this crazy stuff. It translated Morse code for him. It translated Arabic. It did a whole bunch of stuff for him. Cartoon logic and convenience. Hey, you know what? For Batman the Animated Series, we could say, I guess, again, they earned it. Yeah. <laughs> They're allowed to do that kind of stuff. Sure. But now this is a great episode. I, I, had a lot of fun rewatching this episode. I told you I actually rewatched this when the Batman was coming out a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I watched it again tonight, and uh, yeah, a great introduction to Riddler as a character. Very different introduction to Riddler, but I like it. The whole computer system, computer gaming thing it kind of it kind of fits this version of the Riddler, and I like the you know the big corporation greed and corruption kind of kind of uh, begins this journey for the Riddler. And man, how good is John Glover? 
Oh, he he's great. But now, as far as the Riddler's origin, do we know what Riddler did before he became the Riddler in any medium? Like in the comics, like do we know what he was before? I mean, we know like in obviously in the Batman, we kind of know a little bit. Um, in Batman Forever, we have a backstory, but in this, in the comics, I don't know what the Riddler was prior to him becoming the Riddler. You know, that's unless I'm just not. That's thinking a, about it. Like, do you know? No, I don't. That's a great question, though. I kind of feel like a, I kind of feel like a bad Batman fan for not knowing. Um, yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't come up very often. So, like, yeah, it, and but I'm with you. It, this did seem a little different, but it does work. And and I will say too, this is my favorite design of the Riddler in any medium. I I love the look of the Riddler in the animated series. Yeah, he looks great. Um, I love the the bowler hat and the you know the the class. It's it's sort of a it's a fresh spin kind of on the classic Riddler look. But I love the yeah I love the uh, the suit jacket and all that good. I mean yes, I like the suit jacket look more than I do the leotard. I'll say that exactly. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where my love for it comes from. Is I just like the jacket. I like the bowler hat. Um, it just looks more professional Riddler. <laughs> yeah, and the Minotaur maze, you know, the 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 end, the bulk of the end of the episode here with Batman and Robin going through this Minotaur maze. I love this whole setup. Um I love the challenges and the traps and I found out some trivia that you may or may not know, uh Joe, when they're in the when they're in the maze at the end. Did you know that they use um they use various sounds from the Super Mario Brothers game. Oh no, I did not know that. There's jumping sounds. The the Mario jump, you can hear that in certain okay. places. The pipe sound when they go down in the pipe. Um mm-hmm. the sh- the shell sound like when they hit a shell in Mario. Yeah. That sound is in the, is in the the is in one of the scenes. And by the way, I can't take credit for this. I found this online. Um is there a reason I, I guess because it was a video game centric episode. That's so funny. Yeah, I, that's so weird. And also, while we're talking about video games, <coughs> um, excuse me, did you ever play um, the the Adventures of Batman and Robin the the video game for I I think I had it for Sega. Okay, yeah, I did. But too. I've heard I've heard they're different for Sega and Super Nintendo. Is that true? I think so because. Um, there's there's a whole level of that game that is pretty much the Minotaur maze. And on the Sega version or the Super Nintendo? It Nintendo? says the the little trivia thing I'm reading says it's the Nintendo, the the S- yeah, SNES version. Okay, so the the Sega one was hard. Like it was almost it was a blast because you got to play as Batman and Robin in co-op. I loved it, but it was hard. Like I, I remember getting to one spot and just getting stuck. Like it seems like that was the theme with a lot of old video games where you get to a part and just didn't know what to do and you would just give up. Yeah. Or I would, because I had no patience for that kind of stuff. I would I would play out to that point and then I would just accept that I couldn't get past it and that would be it. Yeah, but I mean I think that's that's kind of landmark for this episode. I mean, this is this is kind of an iconic episode. This is the first appearance of Riddler in Batman the Animated Series, and it's also transcended the show, and it got, you know, acknowledgement in a video game. So that's, I think that's pretty awesome. And it lends very well to a video game, because this whole episode is is video game heavy. Um, 
Oh, just the way that they kind of foreshadow with, you know, the, the uh, what is it, the quickest point, the quickest way to get from point A to point B, like uh, the whole, um, the globe thing that Robin goes through. Yeah. Really cool how he gets it wrong in the beginning and Alfred kind of, you know, says, oh, come on, you, you should know this one. And I love. uses it later on. I love the convenience of this being a video game episode and um, Robin is obsessively playing a video game. Oh, the the whole back and forth between Robin playing the video game and Batman trying to figure out um, the riddle or, or trying to figure out... Yeah, he's trying to figure out the riddle in the cave and Robin is playing the game and they're coming up to the same conclusion. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's it's almost too convenient, but it's great. I love, I love the setup. Um, and I also love how that lends into when they're actually in the maze trying to get to the Riddler... Robin is key to the success of the team there because, oh, yeah. because he has been playing this game and this, this maze is almost a life size representation of the video game. And Robin knows this world and he is, he's more adept at this than Batman is. And I think that's really cool. Cause it's one of those moments where you see that Batman needs Robin. And I love that. Yes. Yep. Definitely. So yeah, I, uh, phenomenal episode. I think, this may be, uh, this is definitely one of the favorite episodes that with that for me that we've rewatched. And this one might, I think this is the first time I've said this, this one might alter my top five when we get to the end of, of all these, uh, going back and watching all these. Oh, that might be fun to, to redo that. Maybe uh, see if our list would have changed after rewatching some of these. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But anyway, anything else for uh, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? No, I think I'm good. Uh, I like you said, it's a great introduction to the Riddler in this world. I'm glad we got to watch this one first. Yeah. Um, And, you know, prior to if anyone else had any other Riddler episodes, but I don't remember because this is usually the one that everyone talks about. There's the other one that I love where... um, Batman goes in the safe. That's the only thing I remember about it. Where Batman goes in the safe when he's in the Batman Forever. Got him caught. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm kidding. Jeez, I didn't even know what the heck you were talking about. My brain does not go to that movie at all. I'm like safe and Batman Forever. What are you talking about? Um, no, not quite. I'm uh, gonna pretend you didn't say what, that. What the we boiling acid? That. Yeah, that's that's the one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a fantastic episode. If you didn't rewatch it for this, uh, for, to listen along with us, make sure you do. It's a really good one. Um, but our next one, I have done the randomizer. It has chosen our next episode. So to prepare for our next show, make sure you watch on leather wings. So Joe, we're going way back to the beginning for a little bit of man bat action. Episode one in production order. Yes. I don't think it's episode one on HBO Max, but it's episode one in production order. Yeah, but even on HBO Max, it's a very early episode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that's On Leather Wings. That will be the next episode that we cover. We've been kicking around. Uh, Joe, you and I have talked about, um, I don't know at the pace we're going, if we're going to finish our re- recap and review of these by the end of the year. So we may do a full Batman, the animated series episode where we cover a few of these. So haven't decided yet, but I think that may be a good idea. What do you think, Joe? 
Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, because we, we want to try to get these done for this year because we might have some other plans for the, the upcoming years on what else we might want to cover. So, yeah, I, I'd be completely down with that. Absolutely. But we will we will keep you guys updated. So keep an eye on our social media and, of course, listen to the show, and we will let you know what we're going to do with that. But that's kind of where we're going to wrap it up for this episode, Joe. This was, this was a good one. Um, we had a little bit of differing opinions on – the Dark Knight Rises here and there, but we're, we're pretty close. And uh, yeah, I had fun going back to look at 10 years of that movie. Wow. Still can't believe that. Yeah, we, we probably could have talked about that movie for another at least half hour. Um, we didn't even mention the football uh, stadium. Scene oh, gosh. I, I still regret not driving to Pittsburgh and being an extra for that. <laughs> Yeah, that would, still, that would have been. I don't awesome. know why I didn't do that, but you know that, that would have been a long day. But man, to say that I was in that movie would have been a lot of fun. I, I still regret that to this day. And I actually have a Heinz Ward McFarlane figure in a Gotham, uh, Gotham is it Gotham Rogues? Gotham Rogues, yeah. Gotham Rogues jersey, yeah. That's awesome. You're gonna have to post a picture of that on Twitter. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go grab it and then post a picture. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. All right, Joe. Well, that's where we're going to put a pin in it for this episode of TFR. So why don't you let everybody know where they can find you out there on social media? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as jforn 11 And you can find me on Facebook in the Real Fans groups as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Awesome. Thank you once again for, for always coming on and being the co-host here. Uh, absolutely thank you again for having me yes sir as for myself you can find my personal accounts on instagram and twitter and letterboxd at me carter 89 that's me carter 89 the show can be found on facebook instagram and twitter at tfr bat pod if you take a moment out of your day to leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts we will read those on the show we appreciate it it helps us gain exposure and helps people find us uh, if you'd like to support the show in another way, and, and once again, as I say every time, we don't ask that anybody spends any money on us, but if you'd like a, if you'd like a t-shirt or anything like that with our logo on it, just go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word. You can find all of our goodies there. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of TFR. But until next time, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from this abyss. I see the lives for which I lay down my life, peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. I see that I hold a sanctuary in their hearts and in the hearts of their descendants generations hence. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to. <laughs>